Luno, the fastest, easiest way to buy Bitcoin. If you're just getting into crypto, it's the perfect place to start. Hey guys, and welcome back to my show. I'm super excited to chat to you all. We had a week off, but we're back, so it's gonna be really exciting. So as always, as you know, it is powered by Icon Plus Capital. So a quick news update for you. So actually on April the 25th, Icon's DeFi platform Balance will be released, a user-friendly platform that creates ICX tokens pegged to real-world assets like the dollar, like gold, and like oil. Now, before we jump into this, cause this one's gonna be very exciting, um, this is sponsored by BlockFi. You can actually get up to $250. And when you sign up with them, I use them, get up to 8.6% interest on your USDC. Pretty cool. All right. So let's bring on today's guest. Joining me today is Munib Ali. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat to you um, because this topic is fascinating to me because you have these two worlds, right? You've got like this narrative that Bitcoin's this store of value and then you've got DeFi and everything that's going on there. But that's not quite the case, is it? Because you're trying to essentially bring that onto this side. You're trying to, you know, do smart contracts, DeFi and everything on Bitcoin. So talk to me about this. Yeah, so I think I think there's a big misconception out there that uh, Bitcoin is like a hard rock and it can't do anything interesting. So like in, it, like if you think about it, uh, Bitcoin has a blockchain where uh, the original designers have taken certain design decisions to keep mm -hmm. uh, it relatively simple at the base layer, uh, and that's completely fine because you can build the rest of the functionality outside of the core Bitcoin blockchain. Right, like layer twos come to mind, or side chains, and other 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 type of uh, technologies. So it's it's just a kind of like a technical design decision that do you really want to do it at the base layer, or do you want to do it like around the base layer? Uh, and we bring smart contracts to Bitcoin uh, by not modifying Bitcoin at all, but uh, basically building a separate system, stacks that connects to Bitcoin, that settles transactions on Bitcoin, and brings smart contracts there. And if you compare that to other systems like Ethereum and other ecosystems, uh, over there, they would have more native support for smart contracts right at the base layer. But that's just like a technical detail. There's nothing fundamental about doing it this way or that way. A lot of the time when we talk about um, building this kind of ecosystem on top of Bitcoin, there's a huge criticism that, you know, it would mean compromising security, decentralization, but I, I'm assuming that isn't the case because you're not changing the actual fundamental technology. Yes, so I think, uh, so I, I have a distributed systems uh, background. So I've been, I've been kind of like doing research work in this area for, for more than a decade and so, and uh, discovered Bitcoin around 2013. And yeah. even from back then, it was abundantly clear that you can't scale the base layer to do millions of transactions or store like an insane amount of data there or to have full smart contracts at the base layer because you open for smart contracts, especially with like, you know, full Turing complete languages, you're opening yourself up to certain attack vectors that you really don't want at the, at the base layer. And similarly, like the Bitcoin blockchain is not a place to store user data or to store like a tons of information. And we saw that in the, um, in, in, in the big blocks, uh, small block type of wars, right? Like people who forked mm -hmm. off, who wanted to basically store a lot of data on the Bitcoin blockchain, that, that doesn't really work that way, right? Bitcoin is really a settlement layer. Only the most important transactions are going to happen on, on Bitcoin. It is a store of value. And just like the Lightning Network, 
settles a lot of uh, transactions directly on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, the Stacks blockchain does the same thing, right? So you can do thousands or, or, or potentially down the road, millions of transactions on Stacks, and they would just settle on Bitcoin. But they're benefiting from the security of the base layer, which is the critical thing to understand here, right? Because everything that is settling on Bitcoin is benefiting from the proof of work, from the security of the Bitcoin blockchain. Because once that transaction settles on Bitcoin, like you would have to go and reorg Bitcoin to, to be able to change the history of that. Right, so those are the, the benefits and, and at a high level, uh, Bitcoin by far is the biggest brand name. Uh, it has the largest community. It has over a trillion dollars of crypto capital. And most people are going to get introduced to crypto through Bitcoin. Like Bitcoin is the first thing that they, uh, that they hear about. And then interestingly, you know, developers would be like, oh, I can't really program Bitcoin at the base layer. And then they would discover Ethereum or some other blockchain. But 99% of the developers have never written a smart contract yet, right? So uh, the, the future developers would discover Bitcoin and then be like, oh, cool, I can also program Bitcoin. Here are a bunch of different options. Here are some programming languages. And I think that's, that, that's kind of like my, my vision of the world of like where, where, where things would go. But if you're just building on top of it, right? And so you, ha you have the Bitcoin network, which maintains the security. So that's not changing. Um, and you can rely on that. What you're building on top, how do we know that that is secure? And the reason I ask this is because one of the biggest um, criticisms of everything that isn't Bitcoin is just the fact that it's not proof of work and it's not Bitcoin and it's just not Bitcoin, right? Um, that's kind of what it, what it comes down to. So this is another layer of technology that isn't Bitcoin. So how can we trust it? Why is it not, why is it not the same as, you know, another layer on top of Ethereum, given I know obviously the Ethereum layer one is different. Yeah, so I think think of this way that theoretically we could have started a separate layer one proof of work network, which is actually what Ethereum did, right? Like Ethereum started a separate proof of work network and now you have a different set of miners who are doing proof of work on Bitcoin and a different set of miners with a different algorithm for, for, the, for the hashes that they're calculating for doing proof of work uh, on Ethereum. And Ethereum has plans for moving to proof of stake and so on, and we, we, can, we, can, we, we can separate that out. But fundamentally speaking, you're actually not sharing the compute power of Bitcoin. You're, you're starting a separate network. And this is, the, this is the exact thing that we wanted to avoid in the sense that what we have figured out is consensus between blockchains, right? Like usually a blockchain system would just have consensus on at the at a single blockchain level. So yeah. we figured out a consensus protocol between two blockchains, between Bitcoin and Stacks. And what happens is that our uh, Stacks is completely dependent on Bitcoin for for survival, right? Like we are we are not competing with Bitcoin. We are not trying to be money. Uh, the Stacks cryptocurrency is a uh, asset that is used as gas. Uh, for smart contracts, right? And it's, it completely depends on Bitcoin for even survival. And our miners work on the Bitcoin chain, right? So instead of doing proof of work, they are actually, uh, uh, we, have a, we, have a, we have a new mechanism called proof of transfer, where it's like okay. they're using Bitcoin to secure the Stacks chain, right? So it's a little bit like you've already produced Bitcoin by doing proof of work. Now just use the Bitcoin as, as almost like proof of computation and use that to secure a, a blockchain that kind of like depends on, on Bitcoin. But the, the critical difference here is uh, once the transactions settle on Bitcoin, you would have to go and reorg Bitcoin uh, to be able to change that history, right? Whereas if you had a separate system, then the security of the blockchain really depends on the security of that completely separate, uh, separate system and, and blockchain. You have nothing to do with Bitcoin uh, at, at that point.
And obviously the Lightning Network is very much to do with literally just speeding up transactions. So would you say that what you're doing is similar to that, just with more added features essentially? Yes, it, it is very similar in design. And uh, so for people who understand Lightning Network, think of it this way, that you have to set up uh, the, the nodes and a Lightning channel, and yeah. then you can actually do fast transactions and that at some point the channel is gonna go and settle on Bitcoin. So the way we design stacks is uh, that, that there are miners who are effectively they, they already have these channels open all the time and they're settling by default every single Bitcoin block. So every single Bitcoin block, all the transactions that happen on the stack side, they automatically settle on Bitcoin. So you don't have to worry about who's setting up the channels, who's actually going to settle on, on, on the chain. And then the biggest difference is actually the Clarity smart contract programming language. So Clarity is a new smart contract programming language that has full visibility into Bitcoin, meaning that you can uh, developers can start building smart contracts uh, where they're actually programming against Bitcoin state, which is super exciting because you know Bitcoin is a trillion dollars in capital, and I think I think uh, developers would want to do very very interesting things with it. So how are you then different? Because you have some competitors out there. Um, there's RSK, there's Liquid BTC. So what's the difference there? Yeah. So I think first of all, like I'm a I'm a Bitcoiner at heart. And yeah. I, I love all these different efforts because in my mind, these are different design points that people are exploring. So in terms of RSK, I think they're more in the camp of uh, trying to be a really true sidechain in the sense that they don't have a separate uh, asset for, for gas and transactions. And they're focusing on trying to move Bitcoin from the Bitcoin chain, using that as, as, as the asset and then and bringing that back. Right. So right. Liquid is also more in that camp. Uh, you have, so, so RSK does uh, merge mining, right? So a subset of the Bitcoin miners would actually also mine on the RSK chain. And mm -hmm. in terms of, of Liquid, uh, they have a slightly different design. So they also have a pegged asset called, uh, uh, called Liquid uh, BDC. And uh, you, can, you can transfer that into the Liquid chain, but on the way back, you have to trust a federation, right? So it's like a okay. somewhat of a semi-federated model where, where uh, to get the Bitcoin back from liquid chain into the uh, into the Bitcoin blockchain, you have to kind of like trust the federation. And and okay, again, I'm not I'm, that's I'm not be criticizing for the, some. Yes, but these are these are different design choices, right? So people yeah. whoever feel comfortable with whatever design choice, like for example, I understand that a, uh, that some people in the Bitcoin community are not going to like the fact that Stacks has a different asset, right? Yeah. If you want to be if you want to be very much on one end of the spectrum that you believe in just one asset, maybe you would uh, you would be more uh, inclined to use a network where there's no other asset. But but, but wait, interesting thing I have a question on that point though. I have a question on that point though. So if so why do you have why do you have your own asset? I know you said for gas fees, but is it even possible? You know, I'm not super techie, I don't know. Is it possible to do what you're doing without that? It, can you not yes. just be Bitcoin only in it? Exactly. So I think these are the trade-offs, right? That because we have the new asset, mm. our mining is actually permissionless. You don't have to rely on a, on a, on a federation because the miners I have see. incentives, right? So mining is permissionless. Secondly, these miners have incentives to store the extra smart contract state. You don't want to put that data, the smart contract logic into the Bitcoin blockchain itself, right? So because of the stack's asset, these miners have an incentive to store that data, right? And keep that data alive. And finally, that is the asset that is being used for gas. So you have to, whenever, whenever, whenever you're asking another party to do computations for you, 
you have to basically pay them, right? And that mm -hmm. payment is in, is in is in stacks. And if you were try to make it in Bitcoin, like my like it would actually be extremely expensive, right? Like Bitcoin is 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 a very expensive asset. And we have actually tried that. Some earlier versions of our system were directly trying to build on top of Bitcoin, directly trying to actually use Bitcoin as the asset. And very quickly, you were in situations where let's say you're trying to register a three dollar domain name, and you're paying a fifty bucks in in transaction fees on that $3 of, of worth of transaction, right? And also the Bitcoin core developers would hate the fact that now you're storing all that additional data into the Bitcoin blockchain itself, right? So we revised mm. our design and, and, the, and the Saks blockchain that launched two, two months ago uh, actually does not make any changes to Bitcoin at all, does not write any additional data uh, on, yeah. on the Bitcoin side. And, and, and effectively you can do cheap transactions that are, that are, that are settling on Bitcoin uh, automatically. So what would you say the main reason for doing this is then? Because right now we have DeFi. Okay, so Ethereum is, is slightly broken. Potentially we've got ETH 2.0 coming at some point one day. But, you know, there's Binance Smart Chain a lot. There's been a, a massive, um, you know, migration and move to BSC. So right now Bitcoin has really adopted that store of value narrative. I mean, People like Elon Musk and Michael Saylor, they're not buying into Bitcoin for any DeFi purposes. They're buying into Bitcoin because it's gold 2.0. So is this necessary? Like why? Of course, it's necessary because you're doing it. But why is Why would you say it's necessary? Why can't you just leave it as it is and let Binance do as they're doing and all the other you know, projects, Polkadot and so on? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. So I, I think let's let's play it out. Uh, Bitcoin is kind of like winning the store of value uh, use case. So we, yeah. let's say we start getting more and more capital. Right now we're at one trillion, maybe it goes to two trillion, three trillion, and, and so on, right? And that's saved as Bitcoin. Now people want to do useful things with that capital. And what you're noticing is that people would have things like uh, synthetic Bitcoin assets, like yeah. wrapped Bitcoin. And they're, so in, in wrapped Bitcoin, let, let's look at the user flow. First of all, there's a custodian in the middle. Uh, so you're getting a tax hit when you're going from Bitcoin to wrapped Bitcoin and then back you're actually now introducing a, a tech stack that maybe Bitcoiners don't want to trust because now wrapped Bitcoin is being issued on top of Ethereum, right? So in mm -hmm. some ways they're taking a tax hit, they're going through a custodial and now their asset is on, on a technology stack that they might consider to be too experimental uh, and, and, and they're taking additional risk there. Versus imagine that a, a Bitcoin lending application where uh, built on stacks because stacks is doing the reverse of that. Instead of taking an asset to a different blockchain, it's bringing the smart contracts to Bitcoin, right? So once you have smart contracts on Bitcoin directly, uh, you can have a lending application where your Bitcoin is just going from a pure Bitcoin address to another pure Bitcoin address on the main chain as the, as, as the lending side of it. And the smart contract logic lives on the stack side that has the collateral and can release the collateral automatically if your loan doesn't come back. So I think it, it actually reduces a lot of complexity. Uh, it's a much more simpler approach, and it 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 cuts out a lot of the the, the custodians or risk factors and other other blockchain. So I think the model to think about really here is that once you have so much capital locked up as Bitcoin, people would want to do interesting things with it. Like they yeah. would want to have Bitcoin lending. They would want to deploy <laughs> that capital uh, to provide liquidity or have other 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 types of use cases. And what we're doing is we're basically bringing the use cases to Bitcoin, treating Bitcoin as a center of gravity versus being in this weird sort of a world where people are trying to issue synthetic assets 
on, on, on top of other chains, right? And, and you, you mentioned a, a couple of efforts there. I would also like to point out that there's also a Bitcoin way of building things, right? Where a Bitcoin are, way, did you say? A Bitcoin way of doing, yeah. Like, like, like if you look at the Bitcoin stack, uh, the, the, the quality bar for, for, for the technology is actually very, very high. Right, people are very much concerned about the security of the code base. They're very concerned about, uh, you know, consensus issues and so on. So whenever you're you're adding something more experimental to the mix, it will actually give pause to a lot of Bitcoiners that they might not want to use that technology. So with with, with stacks, one thing that we are really trying to do is we're trying to focus a lot on these things that we 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 use Bitcoin as much as possible for security. Uh, our smart contract language is actually. Uh, you can have formal proofs of verification there, so uh, so p- people can feel feel safe that this contract can only do what it's supposed to do and can't do anything else. And and best of all, it's a permissionless system, right? So you mentioned the Binance smart contracts. There are like 15 or so nodes that it's it's again a federated network. There are 15 or so nodes that are controlling that Binance smart chain, and I think that might not go that well with a lot of Bitcoiners who are, are believers in, in decentralization in permissionless things and, and, and basically doing things uh, that, that, are, that are more clearly on one end of the spectrum. Yeah, I think that's a massive um, criticism of uh, Binance Smart Chain that I keep hearing even in comparison to, to Ethereum. But okay, so everything that we're seeing right now is taking time, especially with ETH 2.0. Um, and I really feel there's, there's, some, there's just huge competition. There's a lot of talk. Um, obviously, I was doing a lot of research about Stacks before our interview, and there's a lot of talk about whether you guys are looking to replace Ethereum, but you're not looking to replace Ethereum, are you? Yeah, I would I would say that there is some overlap, but there is definitely yeah. a lot of lot of greenfield as well. Like, for example, there are certain applications that are possible on Stacks that are simply not possible on top of Ethereum. Right? I'll, I'll give you one, one example. Yeah. Uh, so we have this uh, POX contract where people can lock up, lock up capital and they're earning Bitcoin as a yield. And these are pure Bitcoin transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain. So people, you, if you lock up capital there, like you are actually getting uh, Bitcoin yield and it's around 10%. So we launched around two months ago and over that time, uh, we first got 100 million uh, total value locked then 200, then 300, then 400. And I think last week it crossed a billion dollars, right? So within two months, we are actually seeing uh, traction on a smart contract where people can lock up capital and earn Bitcoin. And these types of functionality would be impossible or at least very, very hard to do on blockchains that are separate from Bitcoin and that are not kind of like directly building on top. And that's just one use case. Imagine different types of Bitcoin yields, different types of stable coins that are actually backed by Bitcoin that actually settle on Bitcoin and, and so on. So I would say there is a lot of green field of innovation directly on top of Bitcoin where we are not competing with it, with Ethereum or, or other chains. And then there are o- overlapping areas. Like for example, if someone is trying to issue NFTs uh, on the Ethereum yeah. chain, well, you can do that on, on top of Bitcoin now through, through stacks and so on. And, and, and there, there would be a subset of these applications. I think Ethereum is, it will, uh, it is likely going to survive in one form and another for years to come. Uh, I've been a skeptic of ETH2 purely from a computer science, uh, like technical design perspective. And I think they have morphed the design several times. It, it still keeps changing. Okay. Uh, although there's a lot of kind of like marketing hype uh, around it and people that are getting excited as if uh, ETH2 is about to happen. But I think it's, it's years and years out and it, it is not in its wow. final form uh, at all at, at this point. 
Yeah, not at all. But so what's the reception been um, from the Bitcoin community? I've been really fascinated because when we had that whole DeFi summer, um, people were just sort of saying, you know, Bitcoiners mainly were saying DeFi is just a scam. Um, but I wonder whether they don't feel that way now that it's sort of going to be built on top of Bitcoin. I don't know. What's the reception been? Yeah, so I think uh, I would I would separate separate out two things. One is um, useful things you can do with decentralized finance. I think that mm-hmm. actually a lot of Bitcoiners would like that. Like, why do I need to depend on a bank or a financial institution for, for taking a loan out? Like, imagine a Bitcoiner is like, hey, I want to give Bitcoin collateral and I want to take out a stable currency, like a USDC loan, right? Use it and then give it back because I don't want to sell my Bitcoin. That's DeFi, yeah. but that's the kind of DeFi that they're going to love. That yes, I don't, don't want to sell Bitcoin. I'm not trusting anyone. And you know, I'm taking a loan loan from a from, from, from a smart contract. Or the other way around, that I want to lend out my Bitcoin in a trustless way and earn interest on it because I don't want to sell my Bitcoin. Right. So these are all DeFi applications and, and Bitcoiners would like the decentralization aspect of it. I think where they get more hung up is sometimes the more experimental nature of things on, on Ethereum or other systems, or the kind of like the marketing and the hype around some of these 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 new assets and how it's, it, it feels a little bit like gambling. And I think that's where uh, there's a, almost like a, cult, like a cultural reaction that, hey, we don't like that type of activity and we would just rather stay out of it. I don't, I, but I don't think that uh, if you talk about like useful applications that are decentralizing finance, like they are quite appealing to, to a lot of Bitcoiners. And interestingly, I'll, I'll mention something. So I think uh, overall, I would say the reception for Stack since the launch two, two months or so ago has been really well. There are obviously uh, Bitcoin hardliners who just don't, who are very skeptical of any new type of an asset. Like doesn't matter mm-hmm. what that asset is, they just don't like it. And interestingly, uh, sometimes people would be skeptical of the Stacks asset, what you need it, and you would have to get into a discussion like the one we did that, hey, it actually ensures permissionless mining. It gives incentives for miners to keep that data because you do want to keep that data outside of Bitcoin and, and, and so on. But then they, they would have like some sort of a, uh, some sort of a moment where they're like, okay, it's a new asset. I generally don't like new assets, but this asset earns Bitcoin, right? I do want to earn Bitcoin though, mm. right? So they would have like that moment where, where, where they would actually uh, start getting more curious and start, start learning more, more about the project. So there's a bit that I'm still not 100% on, which I, I just want to get right in my head because you, you made a tweet the other day and you also spoke about it just now, the, the idea of lending with Bitcoin. So I love that because I'm one of those people that will never sell their Bitcoin. Dad asks me what my pension plan is. I say it's Bitcoin. Like that's this, that's a serious conversation we're having. Um, but you said there's no counterparty risk. You just have to trust the network. But how can we trust the network? Because it's not, because I, I, I know, of course, you've got the Bitcoin base layer, but how can we trust the Stacks network? Sure, you know, because it's not Bitcoin. Yes. That's, like, so that's I think- what I can't get my head around. The, the, the way to think about this is that any system that's kind of like an extension of Bitcoin, yes, it introduces some risks, but you can yes. understand but you can understand those risks. Like for, for example, if you're using the lightning channel, you can try to understand what what my risks are and what would happen if things go wrong, right? So this is where uh, stacks comes in and why we focused a lot on the clarity smart contract language. Uh, so the clarity language, has formal verification, meaning that if you're doing, uh, let's say there's a lending application built built, uh, built using it. So you're lending your Bitcoin 
And what you're trusting is that here's a smart contract that has, let's say, 200% collateralized, uh, some sort of a stable coin called a USDC loan in it. So your risk factor is that if by a certain Bitcoin block, my Bitcoin doesn't come back, is the collateral going to automatically release to me or not, right? And you can have formal verifications that yes, this smart contract will release you know, USDC to you if, if, your, uh, if your Bitcoin doesn't come back. Because this smart contract actually has full visibility into Bitcoin. You're actually trusting the Bitcoin state. So the smart contract knows about Bitcoin blocks. The smart contract knows about when money moves on Bitcoin, right? So the logic in the smart contract is saying, if Bitcoin, X amount of Bitcoin does not come back to this address by this block number, the, the smart contract is going to release the collateral to your address. And then you can go and buy, buy more Bitcoin. You mentioned um, NFTs earlier, and I really want to talk about that because obviously you're, that's going to be part of all of this. But before we go into that, where do you stand on NFTs? Because I think the, the hype is slowly dying down. Um, of course, Bitcoiners don't like it. Um, so, so where do you stand? Do you think it's a bubble? Or do you think there's some actual value there? I think, I think there is definitely a lot of, uh, of hype around it, but uh, I, I think there's definitely signal amongst all of the noise. Like there are some very interesting real applications. And I am one of those people who always want to focus on the signal and, and kind of like ignore the noise. The noise is going to, to go away at some point. Interestingly, the interesting thing about NFTs is that NFTs are actually a very old concept. Like I'm actually seeing some, some talk in circles that NFTs were invented on Ethereum. I'm, I'm like scratching my head because uh, domain names are NFTs, like non-fungible mm. tokens. And the very first fork of Bitcoin, Namecoin, I've, I've actually worked on it. I'm, 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 uh, I'm OG enough in this space that I actually have hacked on Namecoin. I've worked on Namecoin. This is like 2013. And Namecoin was effectively a fork of Bitcoin introducing NFTs. And those NFTs were uh, domain names, right? And then we have seen things like Counterparty on Bitcoin, uh, where we had rare Pepe's and other types of NFTs on top of the Bitcoin chain. And some of the difficulties with these things, I think those challenges are still there. For example, Namecoin was a merged mine chain with Bitcoin. Again, those types of questions that do you want to share the compute power with Bitcoin? Do you want to build a separate network? And, and with Counterparty, you were actually storing a lot of information on the main Bitcoin chain. And it was a bit clunky and, and so on mm -hmm. in early days. I think it's the same set of underlying technical challenges that in many ways, like we work on with Bitstacks where you're like, okay, this thing is not merged mine. This thing is permissionless. Uh, you are not storing the data on the Bitcoin chain and you can have NFTs. You can have domain names. Uh, you can have other types of digital art and that is secured by Bitcoin. When you're talking about NFTs and their ownership and their provenance, uh, like what better way to store the ownership information than the Bitcoin blockchain that's going to be there a uh, hundred years from now and so on, right? And, and you don't want to uh, kind of like become a, a scalability problem for the Bitcoin blockchain. That's why you want to settle uh, thousands of transactions on Bitcoin in a, in a single transaction instead of like every time there's a sale of an NFT, you're paying like $100 on the main blockchain to, to actually record that information. But you didn't tell me, I don't know, do you think it's a bubble or do you think there's genuine value? I think, I think there, uh, in, in the long term, there's genuine value, right? In the short term, we might be in a bubble where a lot of yeah. people who have kind of like FOMO'd into NFTs, uh, yeah. when, when, the, when the markets turn a little bit, they would realize that they're holding highly illiquid assets 
and and the prices have actually gone down and nobody's willing to buy these things. So I think the, the, the way to think about this is I am very bullish on the underlying technology and future use cases. Uh, but I definitely think that in the short term, there, 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 there's a bubble and, and you know, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to burst at some point. Yeah, I think it, it's a really interesting one because I've always said that I can see value in it. Just given everything is gone digital, it just makes sense that even physical items would have some kind of tokenized um, identity on the blockchain just to verify it, whether it be, um, you know, like a designer handbag or a watch or whatever it is, you know, ornaments, just to give it an actual, you know, you can track the whole supply chain. To me, I find value in that. The whole bubble, that's kind of where I'm not sure about. Yeah, I mean, there, there are all, already things online. Like I think domain names are actually a perfect example. It's a purely yeah. digital asset, has nothing to do with the real world. It has value. Like domain names have been around for decades now. People pay a lot of money uh, for, for domain names. Domain names are, are NFTs. They, and similarly, if you look at uh, a lot of games, any in-game asset is actually an NFT. It could very easily be converted to an NFT and people are paying money for these things. Like they're, they're paying money to get an avatar in a, in a video game. They're, they're paying money to actually buy and resell things. And what NFTs kind of like do is that they uh, define ownership at a global scale. So you can actually take things from one video game, sell it on a secondary market somewhere outside. And that's a, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a pretty, pretty kind of like a, a huge market. And I also wanted to learn a little bit more about you um, on a more casual level. Like how did you get into crypto? Where did your journey start? Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, uh, yesterday a friend of mine sent me a clip of uh, a talk I was giving uh, at, the, at the Princeton Club here in New York. It was in 2014. I think there were some uh, uh, comments there where I was telling people that I am 100% in Bitcoin. Like I actually cash out to uh, eat, right? Like, and in, in yeah. 2014, in hindsight, like that turned out to be a really good decision. But my journey has been that um, I'm, I'm a computer scientist. I did my PhD at Princeton. And I have always been working on um, internet protocols, like next generation internet protocols, cloud computing, uh, like high, high scalability distributed systems and so on. And I was actually working uh, originally on uh, almost like a next generation internet architecture. There have been many such efforts in academia at, at Princeton, Stanford and other places, and, but none of them got commercialized. And that really bothered me, right? So I wanted to almost like uh, build this thing out as a commercial entity that what would a future more secure, more decentralized internet look like and discovered blockchains on the way, right? So this is, this is 2015 when uh, me and my co-founder, we discovered uh, blockchains. And that fundamental question of, should we build on Bitcoin? Should we build on Namecoin, which is like a, a merge mine chain, or three, should we start oh, a cool. separate blockchain? Your camera's is, gone a little bit. Is it, is it better now? Oh, I think we're Maybe back. Go. All right. Yeah, yes. Wait, so, we're good, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, so I think that, that question of like, you know, should you build directly on Bitcoin? Should you work on a merged mine chain like Namecoin? Or three, should you go off and start a separate blockchain? I think that is literally still the question that people are asking even right now, that, hey, Mm. should you build on Bitcoin? Should you build on Ethereum, which is a separate chain? Or should you build on something something like RSK, which is is merged mine, right? And I think think, uh, over there, over the years, from the lessons that we have learned, I think we uh, we are pretty much in the camp 
that there will be more experimentation in the short term. There will be many different blockchains, many different types of yeah. experiments. But in the long term, I think we'll see consolidation on top of Bitcoin. And that's that's our core thesis that any uh, any application or smart contract that actually finds a product market fit will eventually exist in some form on top of Bitcoin, which is the bigger market and more, more, more secure now. I think what really fascinates me about all of this is the fact that it is just so experimental. And I've been following um, Rao Powell's kind of interaction and journey through this space. Um, because I think at one point he was 90% in Bitcoin, 80% in ETH. And now he's really delved into many other different things. And he's very much of the mindset, which I, I sort of, I do share this mindset. I, for me, Bitcoin is number one and I, I just won't sell it. It's just not happening. Um, but I am interested in all sorts of other innovation that's happening. And I think that we have to, I don't, I'm, I just, I think it's just reductionist to be so close-minded and not, and not open your eyes and see what else is coming along. It doesn't mean that what else is coming on, along is necessarily going to replace Bitcoin or be better. But I just think everything is so early. We always go on about how early everything is um, and how early we are. And we just don't know what's coming next. So I just feel that we I, I'm open to seeing everything and hearing about all the different projects and seeing, you know, what comes of it. Yeah, I think definitely like humans are curious minded people. Right. So even if you're like I've, I've, I've pretty much been in the Bitcoin camp since the beginning, but yeah. I've kept kept like a small pocket of call it like 5%, 10% experimentation, especially if they're people yeah. that I uh, like and I trust and they're trying to do something interesting, like like Juan at, at Falcoin is, is a colleague of mine. I like, I would, I would, I would back them, right? I'll see like what happens. It's a, it's an interesting, ambitious project. Let's see, let's see what happens over there. But I think the, this mentality of actually uh, like Bitcoiners, I can see their point of view as well. Like they've actually seen the story play out several times over. Like whenever you're in uh, a bull market, uh, sometimes the more experimental things end up getting more attention because they are very mm -hmm. risky, but they might be maybe showing better returns, right? Like but Safe then, Moon. You, you <laughs> remember you saw Safe Moon, right? I, like that. That was wild. I, yeah, I heard heard some things about it, but but then given a long enough timeline, like these more experimental things then crash very hard as well, right? So if you have actually lost Bitcoin in kind of like trading these assets, like you, uh, you, you, you have those, those scars, right? And you wanna be extremely careful of, uh, of engaging there. Yeah, and I, I totally get that. Um, I, I just think that the hostility is, is, is quite unbelievable. Um, so it, it always blows my mind. But listen, I'm wondering, we have a lot of questions coming through. So I'm wondering whether you'd be open to do uh, a quick AMA um, if I throw some questions on the screen. Yep, happy to. All right, cool. So guys, if you do have any questions, then just um, drop them below in the chat now because we're going to answer some of them. So I'm just going to go through. I think my Wi-Fi is cutting in and out, maybe. I don't know. Um, but here we go. Let's have a look. Is he okay having Jack associated with their project? Is Jack associated with your project? Jack CEO is not of Twitter, a, Jack. Yeah, Jack is not an investor in the project, but I, I've connected with him on Twitter. He's, he's a Bitcoiner. He's very excited about seeing more innovation on Bitcoin, but he's, he's officially, I don't think he's a, a 
is a matter of the park. Okay. Someone has also asked um, about Hyro. They've said that they're excited about the platform. If you can give any updates on that. Yes. So I think uh, my company uh, did the early R&D and public infrastructure building. And once we launched the, the, the Stacks 2.0 blockchain two, three months ago, we clearly separated out the open source project uh, Stacks from my company. Right? So my company focuses on developer tools for, for, uh, for the system. And what we are doing is effectively building out all the developer tools that people would need. And the, and the, and the latest version that we announced today, the, the, the Hero platform, it's meant to be a hosted service that makes it super easy for developers to uh, deploy apps and smart contracts on top of Stacks and Bitcoin. Right? So think of it that the underlying network is open and decentralized, but we want to make life so developers as easy as possible, give them all the right toolings, the APIs, uh, to make it super simple to build, build on top of Bitcoin. And this one's fun. So could Maniv give a tip about the next game changer in crypto? So I actually asked my community this the other day. We've had ICOs, we've had DeFi, we've had NFTs. What on earth do you think is next? Yeah, so I think, I think uh, interestingly, I would say that my experience in, in crypto has been that there are ideas that are around for a while, but mm. the conditions are not right for them to kind of like take off. Like I think NFTs are a great yeah. example. They're by far not a new thing. Like they've been around for years and years, but suddenly the market conditions were right for them to kind of like go mainstream. Uh, similarly, I think uh, decentralized social networks or, or decentralized identity, it's an idea that has been around in crypto, again, like five, six years now. But it might be that there, is, there are some market conditions like down the road. I don't know if it's going to be next year, a couple of years from now, where suddenly uh, it just feels like, oh, my God, everyone is moving to a crypto social network. Everyone, is, mm. everyone now has their own kind of like crypto identity and they're kind of like moving away from the Facebooks of the world. Like that, that would be one, one of the things that I would kind of like watch out for. So that's really interesting. I, I'm so torn when it comes to, um, when it comes to those sorts of things. So decentralized social media applications, because we're trying to do that um, with, there, there are quite a few, but it's so hard to bring people over, isn't it? Um, number one, people won't want to pay for, for content, you know, they want it free. Twitter's free, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube is all basically free because we're the product. Um, and I, I just, it's hard to bring people over and with user experience not being so great. I mean, Hive wasn't the easiest of user experiences, you know, just as an example, it just wasn't. Um, how, how likely do you think that actually is, you know? Because user yeah. experience matters. Yes, I, I think there, there are several challenges. Uh, UX is one of them. Uh, I, I think it's also kind of like network effects as well. Like what incentives mm -hmm. do people have to move over? But I, yeah. I think like the same, same thing with, with some of the other, other stuff, right? Like even the DeFi, it's like a marketplace. Like you need to have liquidity. You need to have the right, right protocols. You need to have enough of uh, incentives for people to kind of like move over. But once the stars line up, and I think there has been slow and steady progress, suddenly uh, it feels like, oh, this happened overnight. But that thing actually didn't happen overnight. It was like years and years and years of work in different directions when it finally clicked. And I think it's entirely possible that a decentralized social network comes around a couple of years from now when the UX challenges have been solved, when the incentivization uh, is actually like a, like, like much better understood that why would people move over? And, and more, more importantly, why would people move over with their distribution and networks intact? 
right? So it's actually better for them. Like when the content creators switch over because they're making more money on a decentralized social network than a centralized one, like I think they will they will pull mm-hmm. their their di- distribution with them, right? And I I don't know what that magic moment is like, but I can see the slow and steady progress towards it over the years. And just final question for you then, um, Bitcoin price, I have to ask you, I won't, you don't have to give us a prediction, I won't put the pressure on you, but what are your thoughts on the general market? Because right now I'm looking at the price about 40, 54, sorry, 0.5. A lot of people say that we are slowly parachuting down now. We're not going to have a sharp snapback. We're slowly parachuting down. A lot of people say we're also, let's say, about 60, 70% of the way through the bull market. Where do you think we're at right now? Yeah, so I think, interestingly, um, like, I'm, I'm buying more Bitcoin. Like, I have buy orders at, at, at 50000 and so on. I've been, okay. I've been buying since Bitcoin was $90. So I'm, wow. a, I'm a long-term holder. And uh, to me, it doesn't feel like we're at the end of this, this bull market. Again, this is, this is not investment advice. This is just my personal observations. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see 100,000 uh, Bitcoin in this bull market. Like I, mm-hmm. I do have the, the laser eyes on, on my Twitter, but, uh, but from a, from a, I'm just sharing what I personally do. Like I'm buying at 50 and uh, you know, if we, if we cross 100K, that would feel like, okay, that was a lot of progress uh, for, for a single, single cycle. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're kind of at a strange point in, in the cycle where, a lot of people, I don't know. We don't know what where, where it's going. I also feel I have I I sort of gauge a sentiment that we're around 60, 70 percent of the way through this bull market. I'm still hoping for a hundred K this year. Um, but but we'll see. Um Maneeb, so where can people find you? Um, what are you working on? Um, just tell us about yourself, um, where they can find you. Yeah, so I think I'm I'm fairly active on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Maneeb, M-U-N-E-E-B. And for people who want to learn more about smart contracts for Bitcoin, uh, they can go to Stacks.co. And Stacks is a open source project. There are actually several entities behind it. And then you can learn about all the different work that these different entities are doing and the different app developers and the interesting things that they're building uh, on top of Bitcoin. Maneep, I want to thank you so much. It's been really interesting. I've been so fascinated about this entire topic, um, especially because I've been spending a lot of time in clubhouse rooms and you really gauge the, I don't know if you spend much time on that, um, but you gauge the the maximalism. Um, so I, I've been I've been interested to see uh, what's happening basically on Bitcoin. Yeah, clubhouse is great. And it's great to connect with the Bitcoin community there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. And guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you to the sponsors, BlockFi and Luno and um, Icon Plus, of course. And we will see you all next week. Bye. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Bye.